listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. This is plaguing the millennial generation and lower, even those above 40, 50 years old and down. And we're going to talk about this. The word of God, I hope you've got your Bible out. Hope you've got a pen. Hope you got a highlighter ready to take some notes. This is something you definitely want to take notes on without question. Um, but if you've got your Bible and I know many people usually use a digital version now on their phone or their tablet or whatever, I like to have an actual Bible in my hand. But if, if you've got your Bible, please understand this with me. This right here is number one, the highest force in all the universe. It's the highest force in all of the universe. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 138 and verse two, that God has magnified his word above his name. Psalmist wrote that. So we all know how powerful the name of God is, but he magnified his word above his name. In another context, same scripture, different translation says it this way, that you have backed up your word with all the power of your name. You see that you've backed up your word with all the power of your name. So think of it this way. Somebody's word is only really as good as their character or their integrity right? So if you know somebody to be a liar, when they tell you something, you don't believe them because why they have a track record of lying. So your trust is not strong in that person because they have proven themselves to be dishonorable, that they have questionable character, that they're not to be trusted, that they are liars. And so what happens is, what's up, Mario? Good to see you all the way from over there. What happens is when you have or interact with somebody that has that character, reputation, that level of integrity, you know what to expect. I can't trust this guy. He says something. This girl says something. I don't know if it's true or not true. And so your word is only really as good as your name. Think about that. Your word is... In fact, I want you to write that in the comments. Your word is only as good as your name. Put that in the comments. Um, The Bible actually teaches this. That, uh, and I'll read it to you. Book of Proverbs, and I'm, I'm building this up for you so you can understand the word of God. Your word is only as good as your name, but listen to this. And this is the reason I say that this is the most important thing. Look at Proverbs 20 and verse um, 15. The Bible says there is gold and an abundance of costly stones, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. You see that? What's more important than wealth? They taught us in Bible school, your integrity, your character is worth more than gold. It's worth more than gold. Um, 
And so the reason for that is because it doesn't matter. Once you lose your character, once you lose your integrity, nothing else matters. It's how everybody judges you and how they'll interact with you and how they'll work with you and how everything. And so that's how they broke it down to us. They said, and I'll go over it even one more chapter. Look at this. Look at how it says it in Proverbs 22, 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favors better than silver or gold. That's interesting. Hmm. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. So your character, your integrity is more valuable than gold. So your word is only backed up by your integrity, your character. Well, this is why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 138 and verse two, that your word is backed up by all the power of your name. One translation, you've exalted your word above your name. And so God's word is literally based upon his name. The fact that he can never lie, that he is always true. So his name, you know his reputation. So when his word goes out, that's why it's so powerful to accomplish what he sends it to do. Because the one who sent the word is of the highest integrity in the universe, the highest power. And so it's very important to understand this. This Bible, this scripture is the highest and strongest force in all of the universe. Nothing's above it. Nothing is above it. And the reason I say that is because for us as Christians, this word has to be the final say on all matters of life, morality, everything. It has to be the final say. Understand this right here has to be the standard for Christians. If this isn't the standard, then what happens to us? Well, if the word of God is not the highest, uh, held in highest regard, if it's not the highest priority, if it's not our standard, then everything we are, everything we believe, everything we do can be governed by any force or influence. Let me give you an example. It can be governed by culture. Christianity could then be governed by culture. Christianity could be governed by politics or the government could dictate to us like they do in other nations to other religions, what they can and can't believe, what they can and can't do. So if we don't hold, if we don't have an agreement across the board that the word of God is the standard, that there's nothing above it, it is God's word then anything in the world can literally influence Christianity and govern it and control it, which means, you know what you end up getting? This is what you end up getting. A post-modernist view of Christianity. Dangerous, man. Let me explain. If you don't know what a post-modernist view is, basically, in the most basic form, the most layman's terms that I can describe it to you, is a postmodernist form of belief is what's true for you is not true for me. Truth 
is relative. That's the postmodernist belief. Truth is relative. What's true for you is not true for me. Maybe it is wrong for you to go out and get drunk, but that's not my truth. You know, I don't really have a problem. I can love the Lord. I can serve the Lord, go to church, and I can go out and get drunk on the weekends. That's not wrong for me. It might be wrong for you. Maybe that's your truth, but it's not my truth. Maybe maybe it is wrong for you to sleep around on your wife or husband, and, and you feel that conviction, and that's wrong for you. For me, you know, that's not wrong. You know, my wife and I, we agree that it's fine. We have an open marriage. She sleeps with other guys. I sleep with other girls. You know, we don't feel it's wrong. So for us, that's not our truth. Might be your truth. It's not mine. So that's what postmodernist viewpoints are, is that truth is relative to the individual. There's no absolute truth. It's all based upon our viewpoints of our own lives, our personal experiences, who we are, what we do. And that couldn't be more dangerous than it is. Because when you take that and hold that view, which many people are starting to do in the millennial generation and below, and even those above 40, 50 are holding a, um, a very postmodernist view of Christianity. The reason that's dangerous is, is because across the scripture, there's nothing that can actually unite us. There's nothing that we consider to be absolute dangerous. So now what do we have? Well, Now we have people that have uh, doctrines they live by, like the hyper grace movement, you know, where they take scriptures out of context. They say, well, you know, uh, if you're doing something that would, you know, cause somebody else to stumble, you know, you don't want to do that. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to pull them into something that would cause them to be convicted. But if it doesn't convict you, you know, it's fine. Personal convictions. But the problem is this, you can't have personal convictions to things that have been given clear commands in the word, right? So like maybe there are some things that you could have personal convictions on that aren't clearly outlined in the word of God. You know, for example, I know Christians who will not by any means attend the movie theater. They just won't. They, they feel it's wrong. They, they will not go to the movies. Maybe some of you know, know other Christians that that's the case for them as well. They are very convicted about that. Maybe it's how they were raised. Maybe it's, you know, whatever their background was that they do not doesn't matter. I mean, doesn't matter if it's like a G movie. It, it, it doesn't matter. We don't go to the movie theater. It's just not somewhere you find us. Um, I, I knew people like that, that even when the passion of the Christ came out, They wouldn't even go to the movie theater to watch the passion of the Christ. They waited for it to come out and watch it at home. So, you know, that, that is something that still happens. So that that's a personal conviction. Obviously there were no movie theaters in the time of the scripture. And so there's no clear command to not go into a movie theater, but you don't make fun of it because some people really do have a conviction from the Holy Spirit not to do that thing. So if you would make someone go against their convictions, that is a horrible and a wrong thing to do. You should never make a person break their own personal convictions from the Holy Spirit. Um, And there's others. I could keep listing things that are not specifically listed in scripture, but people feel convicted and not to do them. But 
when it comes to things that are clearly taught in scripture, you can't have personal convictions or not on things clearly commanded by God. I'll give you an example. Like Barbara's saying that. Barbara's one of those. She's saying, I won't go to the movies. I wait until it comes out. So she, there, there's an example. Barbara says on Facebook, I'm one of those people. I will not go to the movie theater. And so you can't try to make people break their personal convictions. That's wrong. It's wrong to do. But on the other side of the coin, we've got things clearly commanded in scripture. I'm going to use the most extreme example so that you can see what I mean. It's, it's going to sound funny, but at the same time, it's what people are doing with anything clearly commanded in the Bible. You would think I was insane if I said to you, well, you know, you may feel in your life that it's wrong to murder others, but personally, I, I have no issue with it. You know, I've got, I've got no issue um, murdering others. I mean, I don't feel that conviction that you feel. You know, you don't have to feel a conviction about murder. We are clearly commanded not to murder. So it's like there's a standard. There is a level that God has set through his commands and through his word that we as Christians, I mean, if we want to call ourselves Christians, we obey the word. We obey the word. And so we look at that and say, okay, God said, do not murder people. Okay. Well, if he said, do not murder people, I've got no other. That's the final say. Christians don't murder people. Okay. What's another one? Well, it's like guys, I mentioned, let, let me just say another thing. Even if you and someone else agree that a sin is okay, it doesn't make it okay. You understand? Even if you and another Christian agree that a sin is okay, that doesn't mean God said it's okay. So let me give you an example. Like I said before, there's people that, that uh, and I've, I've watched them, people that say they love the Lord. I've seen them on talk shows, you know, and they'll say, well, you know, my wife and I, We've pretty much agreed and we're not insecure. You know, we have what we call an open marriage, you know, where she doesn't mind if I, you know, have sex with other women. It doesn't mean anything. It's just the way we live. She has sex with other men. You know, we have an open marriage and we've agreed that that that's fine. There's no problem with it. We're not upset about it. We're not going to be divorced over it. You know, that's just how we choose to live our lives. Well, your wife may not be mad at you, your husband may not be mad at you, but just because you guys have a consensus together that that sin is okay with you, I can assure you right now, it's not okay with God. So just because the both of you have agreed to live in lives of adultery, it doesn't mean God said, well, you know what? You know, they're husband and wife and they agreed upon it. So if they agree, if they agree about it, then, you know, I'm cool with it because, you know, your marriage covenant never trumps your salvation covenant. Come on, man. Help me on this. Your, your marriage covenant does not trump your salvation covenant. And so just because two people agree that a sin is okay, it doesn't make it okay. That'd be like, can you imagine if we had four Christians in a room or five Christians in a room, and uh, you know we all chose one of them. You're like, you know what? This guy over here has really been ticking us off. So let's take a vote among Christians. How many of us feel that it's all right to murder him? Because I'm gonna be honest with you, he's a real pain in the neck. 
And then, you know, four of the Christians raise their hands and say, yeah, I'd be okay with that. Let's go ahead and murder him. Well, the fifth guy is voting against it because he's the one going to be murdered. But you know what? We've got a consensus. We've, we've got a majority now, four to one. And we're Christians. We don't feel any conviction or anything wrong with murdering him. And, you know, we've all agreed that it's okay. And so let's go ahead and do that. It doesn't change the fact it's sin. It is wrong. It is murder. Agreeing with somebody that something doesn't convict you uh, does not mean it's right. It just means you need to get saved (laughs) is really what it means. And so the reason we are where we are is why I'm doing this broadcast today. The three things I'm going to give you on this broadcast are the three things you have to believe about God's word to live a stable Christian life that God can bless, that God can use. It'll also keep you from falling away from the faith. And I talked about this, and then even last night, I tweeted this because it was on my, my heart, on my mind, and on my spirit. So I put it out on Twitter, and uh, and I talked about this, and I'm going to break these down. So uh, three things that you must believe about the Bible in order to live a strong, stable successful Christian life. It's vital. Let me give the three to you. You can write them in the comments and then we'll break them down. So three things that you must believe about the Bible, and I'll just give them to you, write them out. Number one, inspiration, or just write it this way. Number one, inspired, comma, inerrant, comma, sufficient. Those are the three things you must believe about the Bible. Number one, Inspired, comma, inerrant, comma, sufficient. Three things. And I want you to write them out because we'll use it as an outline, but then I'm going to break it down and show you why it's important to believe these three things. If you don't, you're in trouble. You are in trouble if you don't believe these three things. And and I'm telling you, the reason I'm telling you this today is because I see So many Christians that don't believe these things, inspired, inerrant, sufficient. You must believe those three things about the Bible. Thank you for writing it. Inspired, inerrant, sufficient. And let's break them down. I I tweeted this last night. Let me put the tweet and read it to you. If you don't believe in the inspiration of scripture, inerrancy of scripture, and sufficiency of scripture, You're on extremely shaky ground as a Christian. You must understand and believe these foundational truths. And so these are three things that every Christian must believe about the Bible. Have to believe it. Now, I'm not going to do this broadcast on the canon of Scripture, but when I say the Bible, I'm, I'm talking, just to define it for you that are watching, I'm talking about the 66 books that we have in the Protestant Bible. I'm not talking about any of the apocryphal books uh, of the Old Testament that Roman Catholics have in their Bible. I'm not talking about any of the crazy apocryphal books of the New Testament that have never been considered the word of God. I'm talking about the 66 books that we have in the Protestant Bible. There's tons of of data on this, tons of books you can read, tons of scholars that have written on why we have the books we have. It was never close 
By the way, if you ever click on a YouTube video, you know, uh, that's the hidden reason why the book of Enoch was taken out of the Bible. None of that's all crap. Trust me when I tell you, I've done the time. I've done the research. I've read the books. I've read the textbooks. I'm just telling you, uh, if you trust anything I teach, hear me when I say, if you see a video or look on the history channel, or there's some show coming on or some YouTube video, you know, uh, the reason why this book, whatever it might be, an apocryphal book, a pseudepigraphal book, whatever, was taken out of the Bible. The secret reason why this book was taken out of the Bible. It's all crap. There was no there was no book that was hidden from the church. There was no book that years later they discovered like, oh, we should have had this in the in the canon of scripture all along. The books that are not considered canon of scripture, there are many very good reasons why they aren't considered to be canon of scripture. In fact, to give you, uh, and I know people try to argue this, do the research that Jesus nor the apostles quoted from any of the Old Testament apocryphal books that are in the Roman Catholic Bible. They didn't quote from any of them. People will say Jude quoted from the book of Enoch. And all that means is what Jude said was, inspired by God. It does not mean that the book of Enoch, one Enoch was inspired by God. It was not. There are tons of historical errors in it, tons of geographical errors in it. There's tons of reasons, pages of reasons why Enoch is not a a, a book inspired by God. The quote, the, the apostles and Jesus never quoted from any Old Testament apocryphal book. Obviously the New Testament apocryphal books were found years, like, you know, lifetimes later after the Bible was written and could have been written by anybody. they ha- The New Testament books are even crazier than the Old Testament ones, uh, which are not crazy. I'm just saying the New Testament ones are crazy. They say crazy stuff. They teach crazy things like the Gospel of Thomas, uh, you know, where uh, it suggests that in order to be worthy of life, that women need to be turned into men. I mean, there's crazy stuff. And so uh, the, the apocryphal books, are not, let me just make it clear. And by the way, Don, um, the book of Enoch is not even an apocryphal book. It's what's called a pseudepigraphal book. It's not considered canon by anybody other than maybe the um, Ethiopian church, the Ethiopian Orthodox church. Um, so just because, for, let, let me say this quickly for Dawn because she's asking. Um, she's saying, well, that's not true about Jude. The fact that Jude has a verse that is something that's also found in the book of Enoch does not mean, number one, he was quoting from Enoch. What if Enoch was written and took what Jude said and put it in Enoch? Number two, just because a person who was inspired to write a book of the Bible quotes another writer or quotes something else, it does not mean that that writing or that person is inspired by God. For example, Paul in his epistles, quotes pagan poets. But it doesn't mean that the pagan poets were inspired by God or that their poems were inspired by God. It just means that what Paul was inspired to write to the church was inspired by the Holy Ghost. So you understand, quoting something does not make the document quoted inspired. It just makes what was said from that thing inspired by the Holy Spirit. So trust this word of God. What we've got is it's been tried to be torn apart by people for centuries and has never been able to be torn apart. 
This is the inerrant, inspired, and sufficient word of God. So let me break this down to you. We need to talk about three things. Number one, the Bible is inspired by God. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We need to deal with this. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul writes the final letter he ever wrote, uh, and it's his, it's his letter to his son in the gospel, Timothy. He writes this final letter from Rome, and he says this to Timothy. I'm going to read verses 15 through 17. 15 through 17. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and for training in godliness that the man of God or the messenger of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, for every good work. So right here, Paul is teaching Timothy something very, very important. Notice what he says. From childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, all scripture. Now, this is important because I've heard people say foolish things like, well, brother, we should just read the gospels because that's what Jesus taught and said, and it was his life. That's foolish. It's foolish to say we should just read the gospels. It's also foolish to say we should just read the New Testament. There are sects of Christianity um, that ignore the Old Testament. They actually carry New Testaments to church only. They only carry New Testaments as though the Old Testament has no bearing and it is nothing. When understanding, the Old Testament is totally inspired by God. The New Testament totally inspired by God, all of it. And that's why Paul writes and says, all scripture, all scripture. Now, Paul was extremely educated, sat at the feet of Gamaliel. And when he said all scripture, Paul was not just referring to what he was writing and to what Peter was writing, uh, but Paul would have been referring to the law and the prophets and the writings Paul would have been referring to the Old Testament as well, what they called the law and the prophets and the writings. And by the way, if you go into a Jewish temple and you look at what they have as the word of God, it is exactly what we have in our Old Testament. The, uh, the breaks of where they separate the books are different, but it is the exact same thing that we have in our Old Testament, what the Jews have, what they would consider to be the law and the prophets and the writings. The law, the prophets, and the writings separated into three categories and they separate the prophets a little differently and all that, but understand it. We have exactly what they have. There's no changes, no differences. And Paul would have been well-versed. Timothy would have been well-versed in the Old Testament. And now they knew what, what, what was coming from Paul was, uh, was scripture. Peter actually wrote that, that what Paul was writing was scripture, his letters. And Peter was writing scripture that was being copied by the churches. The gospels 
were being trans, you know, you, you look at the first century through the third century, the gospels and the epistles were being so quickly copied and they went through the whole world that we have more copies of the Bible uh, in antiquity than any other document from history. That's how quickly they were being copied and taken around to the churches. So uh, Paul was not just referring to what Jesus taught or said or what he was writing or what Peter was writing or what Luke was writing. He was talking about all scripture. This is so important that we get this. All scripture is breathed out by God. That means inspired. The breath of God, and I'm going to show it to you in 2 Peter in a moment. The breath of God came out. Did you know, and I say this, uh, I've said this multiple times on the broadcast, hear it again today, that this is the only time in the New Testament that this Greek word is used and it's to describe scripture. It is two Greek words smashed together. It is the word theonoustos, theonoustos. It is the word that means literally God breathed, God breathed. All scripture is God breathed or breathed out by God as the ESV says. And that is an extremely, by the way, another reason I really like the ESV, uh, this is an extremely literal rendering of this passage from the Greek language. You know, some will say all scripture is inspired by God. Well, it, the original Greek says all scripture is breathed out by God. And that's what this says. All scripture is breathed out by God. It was not just the New Testament, not just the epistles. When the Old Testament writers wrote, Moses, the prophets, you know, you go through the psalmist, the writer of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, all these, the, the breath of God was inspiring them to write. The breath of God. You see that it came out of God's mouth. That's, that's a very important point. (laughs) If you don't notice that already, that's a very important point. All scripture, it could be said this way, since it was breathed out by God, all scripture came out of God's mouth. And I want you to write that in the comments because it is a massive point that you got to get that every Christian needs to stand on. All scripture came out of God's mouth. Oh man, that's powerful. All scripture came out of God's mouth. This is this has to be believed. Because let me tell you something. You cannot ever believe that anything we have in this Bible was just thought up by a man. Well, you know, I think they were godly men, but you know, I also think that they, you know, they were kind of just writing, you know, things that you know, that they felt to write on paper. They're good. You know, they're great books. They're good to read, you know, but I don't know that the word of God, you know, is, is the whole Bible. I think some of it, you know, people wrote, you know, what they felt and God was able to use it in its time. No, no monkey head. No, no, there are no words written in this scripture that a man just decided to write. No, Absolutely not. That even goes against what the Bible itself teaches about itself. As I just read to you, all scripture came out of God's mouth. All of it. Nobody just decided to sit down and write something. And then we've got some scriptures in here that are from the Holy Spirit. Others are just the, you know, the writings of some holy man that thought he had a good idea. No, no. 
All scripture came out of God's mouth. All scripture is inspired by the Holy Ghost. All of it. From Genesis to Revelation. Genesis to Malachi, Matthew to Revelation, it's all out of God's mouth. Now go with me to to, uh, 2 Peter. I want to give you another passage because this is very important as well. 2 Peter chapter 1. So catch this. All scripture is inspired. That's our number one point that everyone has to believe. And I was blown away because I looked at a graph not long ago as they polled Americans. And, you know, not all Americans believe that the Bible is inspired. And I'm talking about all Christian Americans. It was actually a smaller percentage of Christian Americans that believe that the whole Bible is inspired by God, by the Holy Spirit. But all of it is. It all came out of God's mouth, and the Bible teaches that about itself. All scripture. Now go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to read you verses 16 through 21. Catch this. 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, hold on a second. Peter's writing this. And Peter was an eyewitness of his majesty, of his resurrection, of his life, of his ministry, of his signs, wonders, and miracles. Peter's not some third-hand knowledge dude. He was there. This is an eyewitness account, what Peter's writing and saying. And so I want you to catch this. It's even important what Paul, by the way, if you missed when I posted that video of of Dr. Vody Bauckham preaching why I choose to believe the Bible, you need to look that up like immediately. It's like a 35-minute message he preached at a pastor's conference. Dr. Vody Bauckham, V-O-D-D-I-E, why I choose to believe the Bible. It is masterful. It's masterful. But understand this, we didn't follow myths. No, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You know what he's saying? You got an eyewitness account from people that saw him die, saw him buried, and then saw him resurrected and stayed and was with him for 40 days after the resurrection. Now look at this. Keep on going. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Listen to this now. Listen to 20 and 21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Verse 21, 
No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So you see, Peter echoes the same thing that Paul said to Timothy. Nobody spoke on their own accord, but they were all writing as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. All scripture. And Norman in New Brunswick on Facebook asks a really good question. And here's the question. Uh, For those of you listening on the podcast and those on YouTube that can't see those Facebook comments, Norman asks, so what about Paul when he said in scripture that this is his own opinion? What he was writing says, this is not, understand something. If he wrote it, he was inspired to write it. Though he says, though he's giving his own opinion, the Holy Spirit wanted the church to have that opinion of Paul and inspired him to write it. I'll give you another example. Sometimes there are things in the Bible that we read that they're not prescripted for us to do. Sometimes God allows things to be recorded in scripture so we won't do the same thing. For example, if you look at the book of Job, which so many people botch when they read. They don't understand how to interpret it. They don't understand the story. They don't understand the point. But you could read through the book of Job and start trying to confess the same things Job confessed. Now, is Job inspired by the Holy Spirit? Yes, the whole book is inspired by God. But do I want to open up to Job and start confessing the same things that Job was confessing during his trial and tribulation? No, because at the end of the story of Job, notice that uh, God has a man, I believe it's Elihu, stands up for three chapters and rebukes the fire out of Job for what he's been saying and what he's been doing. And then God further rebukes him after Elihu's done. And then by the end, Job says, Uh, I have to repent. I was speaking of things that I had no idea about. Job even said, that's written in the book at the end. I was speaking of things that I had no idea about. But are all those things inspired by the Holy Ghost? Yes, of course they are. The Holy Spirit wanted us to have them, wanted us to see them, wanted us to be able to look at the whole story and read the whole picture and understand it and learn from it. See what I mean? And so, you know, as my dad famously preached, if you don't understand how to rightly divide the scripture, you could pull any two scriptures together and make the Bible say anything you want it to say. For example, there's a scripture that says Judas hung himself. There's another scripture that says, go thou and do likewise. Well, if you don't know how to rightly divide the word, just push those two scriptures together and preach to somebody. Judas hung himself. The Bible says, now go thou and do likewise. Well, obviously, those two scriptures aren't in the same context, book, or even the same uh, uh, (laughs) uh, passage. So you have a problem here because you're manipulating the word to make it do what you want it to do. And you can't, you cannot interpret scripture that way. But it doesn't mean that those things are not inspired. You understand? It's the same um, with this, is that there are things that were wrong that Job said, that Job did that you don't want to copy, you don't want to emulate, but did the Holy Spirit inspire those things to be in the Bible? Yes, absolutely. And when Paul 
even put on paper, I'm writing these things, these, this is my opinion, the Holy Spirit was still inspiring him. It didn't stop there and then pick up after his opinion was over. The Holy Spirit wanted the churches, not just then, but through the ages, to hear what Paul's opinion was. He inspired Paul. And so Paul is the one who wrote and said, all scripture, all scripture. And by the way, if anybody would try to argue and say, well, Paul didn't know that his letters were, were scripture. Let me tell you, during his lifetime, people were calling Paul's letters scripture. Peter was one of them that actually wrote it in the Bible. P- Peter, you know, look it up for yourself. Peter grouped Paul's epistles in with all the other scripture and wrote it in one of his letters. Wrote it in one of his letters. So Peter and the churches were looking at Paul's letters as the actual word of God, which is why they copied them so furiously, which is why they went around the world. It's why we have so many manuscript copies today. It's because the church knew that the, it wasn't just the law and the prophets and the and the writings that were scripture. They knew when Paul was writing to them, it was God's word. When Peter was writing to them, it was God's word. When Luke was writing to them, it was God's word. And so they, they understood, they recognized it. And this is huge because nobody can determine what the Bible is or isn't. We can only recognize what the Bible is or isn't. That's why, that's why the Roman Catholic Church has a problem because the Roman Catholic Church uh, has nothing to truly govern it because if you read their actual statement, what they believe, they're not governed by the word of God. They're governed by scripture and traditions, scripture and traditions. So the problem is if the church herself can say well, no, these apocryphal books are also God's word. And you know what? These other works are God's word. And if you can just determine what God's word is rather than only recognize what it is, then there's nothing to hold you accountable, which is why they have heretical things going on in the Roman Catholic Church. Baptism for the dead, alms for the dead, you know, all these other things they do that are not found in, uh, you know, the Protestant scripture. The reason it's a problem is we're keeping all of these books because many of them give us the backing to do the manipulative and heretical things we're doing in the church. And see, there's a problem because it becomes circular. I say what the word of God is, and then what I say the word of God is allows me to do what I want to do. Well, it's, it's circular. It, it's not like an outside force. It's, it's like... Um, it would be like if you audited your own books for your corporation and you said, I say what's illegal with finances and then I'll be the one that audits my own books. Well, you can't do that. There's a governing agency outside of you. There's a third party agency outside of you that it already has determined what's illegal financially. So you have to actually come to their standard and when the audit is done, it has to match the standard. That's why the, there's a problem with the Roman Catholic Church is because, you know, that's when the, when the Protestant Reformation took place and, uh, and Martin Luther nailed, nailed his thesis to the door, you know, he, uh, talking about indulgences and all these things that he disagreed with, there's a reason 
why the Roman Catholic Church has an issue. It's because they have said that when the Pope speaks, it is God speaking and it is law. What the Pope says goes. So first of all, they would put that on par with the word of God because the Pope speaks the the Latin phrase ex cathedra. It is the word of God. And so what do you do? You, You have a circular problem because you're not being held to anything because you're the one who determines what the things are. We don't determine what the word of God is. I don't, no church does, no pastor does, no cardinal, no bishop, nobody. We don't determine what the word of God is. We can only recognize what the word of God is. And bibliology is a great study that you you need to study as a Christian because it's important to know why we have the Bible we have. But one thing we can determine today is this. The Bible says about itself that it is inspired or breathed out by God. And unless you believe that God is not perfect, that God is somehow imperfect, God makes mistakes, if that's what you believe, you've got a whole nother level of Christianity you're living on. We don't believe that God makes mistakes, nor do we believe that he is uh, able to make mistakes. God does not make mistakes. So building upon the fact that we believe that the scripture is inspired, the next level of building block is, number two, we believe that the Bible is inerrant. We believe it's without errors. And that's an important belief system. I can trust the mighty word of God. I can trust the mighty word of God. It is not only inspired, it is inerrant, has no error. And there's people that have tried to argue that and try to debate that. But the Bible is without error. In fact, you know, one of the biggest things that I think is so amazing is that for years, do you know what people said? People said, well, we're so many centuries removed from the original documents of scripture that I'm sure that down through the years, people have made changes to the Bible and that there are now many errors in the Bible you know, through copying, through that tradition, scribes, uh, even those that were doing it in the New Testament church, I'm sure that through 2,000 years of the New Testament, you know, 6,000 years of the old, there's all, there must be all these, all these errors in our New Testament. And do you know, and in the Old Testament, and do you know when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the caves of Qumran and they pulled out all those clay pots that had Tons, not only just one chamber, multiple chambers that held many clay pots filled with scrolls of the scripture and other scrolls. When they compared those preserved scrolls to what we have today, for example, the book of Isaiah, because they found pretty much an entirely intact scroll of Isaiah. When they compared it to what we have today, many of you may not know this, it was over 99.9% accurate to what we have today. And the only differences were spelling and punctuation. Think about that, that God has preserved his word for thousands of years and that we still hold today English translations, if you speak English, based upon those 
uh, manuscripts that we've had since the beginning of the church and throughout the Old Testament, it is still today the same thing that they had back then. It's not been altered. It's not been changed. It's not been manipulated. It's not been added to. It's not been taken away from. It is the mighty, inspired, inerrant word of the living God. Hallelujah. It is. And and that's why I, I suggested that you watch that message. I've actually aired it on the broadcast before by Dr. Vody Bauckham because he actually goes through 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21 and shows you why you would be insane to doubt. I mean, from a historical uh, scholarly perspective, you'd be insane to doubt the Bible is true or that it's been manipulated or why you can't believe the Bible. He said you'd be, and then proves it in the message. Powerful message, powerful message. You need to watch it today. Very powerful. But let's let's break out and give you the third one now before I pray for you because this is huge. The third thing that you need to understand is that it's not just inspired, not just inerrant, it is sufficient. We believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture. Paul touches on that when he talks to Timothy in the last part of that uh, point that he's making. Listen to this. All scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable for what? For number one, teaching. Number two, reproof. Number three, correction. And for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you see that? Paul's saying that the word will teach you, correct you, train you, and when when it's done with you, you'll be complete and equipped for every good work, every good work. So if the word of God was not sufficient, and I'm going to write the name of that uh, speaker in the comments so that you guys have it, um, and the name of the message. Boom, there you go. There, there's the name. There's the name of his message. Dr. Vody Bauckham, why I choose to believe the Bible. Um, understand what Paul's saying to Timothy. The word of God, all scripture he's speaking of, not only inspired, it's there for your uh, teaching, reproof, correction, training. And by the time the word of God is done with you, guess what? He said, you'll be complete Not only will you be complete, but you'll be equipped for every good work. Do you see that? Every good work. So what the point I'm making to you is this. If the Bible, if scripture was not sufficient for the believer, then you could not, when the word was done with you, you could not be complete because there would be other things you'd need in order to be complete. Well, the word is good, but we also need this and we also need that. No, the Bible doesn't teach that. Paul didn't teach that. He told Timothy that when the word is done with you, you'll be complete, lacking nothing, and equipped, not for some good works, equipped for every good work. Every good work. Hallelujah. Every good work. Now, I want to break into this. Now that we see these three things, 
I want to show you something that really is dangerous is that people have gotten goofy and I'm speaking to charismatics and Pentecostals. I don't think Southern Baptists watch my, my broadcast. Maybe they do. I don't think Presbyterians watch my broadcast. I think there's one Catholic that watched the broadcast. He's on every now and then, but you know, I don't, uh, I don't think that people that are cessationists, you know, faithfully watch my broadcast. So I'm talking to Pentecostals and charismatics when I say things have gotten goofy, they've gotten nutty. And, and what people are doing now is they're starting to take these, what some, oh, no, Croy Kicks is Presbyterian. What some are taking to um, these manifestations, quote unquote, of the Holy Ghost and these things are not even found in the Bible. Like I just saw a group of people a few weeks ago that were, you know, literally spiritually somehow canceling racism by slamming a staff that looked like Gandalf's staff from Lord of the Rings. They were slamming a staff on, on a platform and they were declaring racism is over and literally using a line from Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, you shall not pass or something like that. I mean, li- literally crazy stuff and and, you know saying it's the holy ghost and all this other stuff um (laughs) not only that people false prophecy all these other things going on here's the problem and keep this in mind the the foundation of everything we do has to be based on the word of god if it cannot be found in the doctrines of the word of, of God, it's not of God. It's not of God. Let me go further because, you know, I know that there would be, and I'm not sure, um, you know, obviously if Crank Hicks is talking about the fact they're believing for healing, then they're not a cessationist. They believe that the gifts of the spirit are still in operation and God still heals. That's wonderful. But obviously there are some people that don't believe the Holy Spirit works like that anymore, doesn't heal, doesn't perform miracles. There's no more speaking in tongues. They believe all that. The problem is um, when you've got believers who are out there giving false prophecies, operating in a familiar spirit, doing crazy stuff, um, and it's not even based on the word of God. It's not based on scripture. They're outside the doctrines of scripture. They're outside of what the Bible teaches. There's nothing for them to base it on. And then they start treating those quote unquote unquote, um, manifestations of, of the Holy Ghost. They start treating them like they're higher than the Bible. That's crazy. That is crazy. And unless you think that God is a schizophrenic, that says one thing and does another, which he's not because he's not a liar and he's not, he doesn't have multiple personality disorder. God is never going to give you a word of prophecy or a word of wisdom or any other word that's going to contradict his written word. Now, here's the problem that we have amongst Pentecostals and charismatics is that sometimes we start treating these manifestations of the Holy Ghost as though they are uh, beyond the word of God. They're not beyond the word of God. In the New Testament, prophecy can be judged. In the Old Testament, if someone prophesied, it was made into scripture. It was canon. The prophets spoke, they wrote, and it was canon of scripture. In the New Testament, 
prophecy can be judged. Why? Because in the Old Testament, no one could be filled with the Holy Ghost or led by the Spirit of God. In fact, only the priest could go into the most holy place and and be in the presence of the Lord. That's why it was important that the curtain or the veil was torn into two pieces upon Jesus' death. God was releasing his spirit into the whole world so that now every one of you that are watching me that's a, a Christian is a kingdom of priests. We are all priests unto God now. We all have access to his Holy Spirit. We can all be filled with his Holy Spirit and be led and guided by his Holy Spirit. So in the New Testament, we don't have to be led by prophets. You understand? In the New Testament, we don't have to have a prophet give us a word so that we can hear from the Holy Ghost. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that every believer is baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit, but every believer has the Holy Spirit. You can't be saved without the indwelling Holy Spirit. You just can't. Bible teaches it. So every believer has the Holy Spirit and can be led and guided by that same Spirit. So I don't need a prophet to give me a word for me to be able to hear from God. I can hear from God myself. But notice, God's never going to speak something to me that contradicts his word. So if you ever hear, that's how you can judge if what somebody says, prophesies, whatever, is from the Lord or not. If it contradicts the written word of God, it's not from God. I know many of them, you know, they don't believe in private revelation. I was listening to several preachers speak about this last week, and they were saying that they have a real problem with Pentecostals and Charismatics because we still believe in prophecy, and we still believe in tongues and interpretation that those words are coming from the Holy Ghost. And they said, well, the problem we have with that is that any time God spoke in the Old Testament, it became Scripture. And so it was the word of God. So if you don't believe that, you know, because they said, well, Pentecostals and Charismatics will say, well, you know, we believe that prophecy is God speaking, but we don't believe it's on par with scripture. Well, why don't you believe that they're the same? Because it's different in the New Testament than it is in the old. It's not the same. It is not the same. And so uh, let me say it to you this way. If you hear somebody that's giving words to people or that's prophesying to people or giving a tongues and interpretation and what they say contradicts something that's written in the Bible, it is not from God. <laughs> I know that shouldn't be hard to understand, but like I'm blown away because so many people still fall prey to that. It's not in the word of God. So I don't receive it. I don't believe it. Anything God says is going to align with what he already inspired the writers to write. And that's why I think it's important. Now, I'm as, I, I'm as, listen, I'm Pentecostal and charismatic. I believe in the gifts of the spirit to the nth degree. I mean, I've not only, I not only believe in them, I've seen them in operation. God has used me uh, in the operation of the gifts of the spirit. I'm all for the gifts. If you know me, if you know our family, if you know what we do, we're all for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But we are also for the gifts of the Spirit being used properly. 
Because understand something, there is prophecy, but there's also false prophecy. (laughs) There is the moving of the Holy Ghost. There's also something called familiar spirits that people will get caught up in because they're not living right. They're not all kinds of things. It's like, for example, recently there was a guy who was touting himself as a prophet. He was going around. He was everywhere. He was on every television network. He was on every show. He was on every, he was preaching in every church, but he full of pride and then said, I can prophesy anytime I want to prophesy. And he was challenged on a television show. Well, you think you can probably just go ahead and start prophesying. He started prophesying. And the Bible says these things are as the spirit wills, not as a man wills. So when he started bragging, I knew he was in trouble when he started bragging. I can prophesy anytime I want to prophesy. I can do You're in trouble because it's not as a man wills. It's as the spirit wills. And so he started doing all that. And then not long after, he had a service he was preaching and conducting. It was a New Year's Eve service. And as he was doing it, he said, I'm going to prophesy about the upcoming year and what's going to take place. And he started to quote unquote prophesy. Well, Somebody caught him on the internet because the very thing he prophesied, there was a well-known like medium or witch, fortune teller, whatever you want to call her on the internet who has a channel on YouTube that always gives a prediction for the new year. And she had already given hers and they took her transcript and they took his transcript and they were almost word for word the exact same thing. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think God is anointing a witch to prophesy? Do you think God is anointing a fortune teller that's into demonic things to prophesy? Or do you think that possibly because of pride, not right living, that maybe this man had given himself over to a familiar spirit, the same familiar spirit that spoke to that witch Now speaking to this man, giving the exact same prophecy, I mean like word for word. See, there's a danger there and you got to understand, and that's part of the gifts of the spirit operating in the believer. You as a believer should be able to operate in the discerning of spirits. So you should be able to discern what is God's spirit. You should be able to discern what is a demon spirit or Satan's spirit, you should be able to discern what's an angel or an angelic spirit and the spirit of a man, four levels, God, angels, men, as, as Christians filled with the Holy ghost, we should be able to discern the spirit of God. Another story quickly. There was a guy that was holding revival services, extended revival services, in uh, the south part of Florida. And um, this was a few years ago. And uh, people were flocking to these meetings. I mean, left and right. They were coming from everywhere. They were coming from everywhere. And uh, people were like, man, you got to get down. This is a powerful revival that's going on. God's doing amazing things. And, you know, all these, all these different things. I mean, freaking out about it. This is a powerful, miracles are taking place. This guy's on fire. He's not like anybody else. He's, I mean, I mean, they were going off. They were going off on it. You got to get down. Well, I, I didn't have to go down there to know. They were airing it on television stations, Christian television stations. I turned it on for like three minutes. 
and thought to myself, this guy's off his rocker. This guy is not anointed by the Holy Ghost. He's a nut job. He's an actual nut job. I did not have to get on a plane. At this time, I was living in Virginia. I didn't have to get on a plane, fly to Florida, attend the services for a few nights to know what was up. I didn't have to do that because I flipped it on TV two minutes. I'm watching this guy and literally my spirit starts going off. This is not right. This is wrong. This right here is bad, (laughs) bad. Karen, he's still around, but he more, more now he has to do stuff overseas because he was exposed in the United States that he was doing lines of cocaine before he was coming out on the platform. He was sleeping with prostitutes. He was sleeping with people. I mean, he was, I mean, he was, it was bad news. It was bad news. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I didn't have to go check it out. I didn't have to go sit in the services for a week and say, I think I'm not sure, but I feel like no believers should be able to tell that something's up. They, it's called the discerning of spirits. It's one of the gifts of the spirit, the discerning of spirits. It's not just to discern demons. It's to know and discern whether something is God or angelic or something is of a man or something's of a demon. There's four levels to it. And, and I'm just telling you, it's crazy to me that believers don't walk in that kind of uh, understanding. And so they're taken in by every weird thing that goes on in the world, every weird movement, every weird event, stuff that doesn't line up with the scripture, stuff that Jesus never did, others never taught, never said, stuff the apostles never taught, never did, never said, stuff you can't find in the scripture. But people, they're always just looking for something new, something exciting, a fad. It's dangerous. If it's not in the word of God, then I don't want a part of it. I'm not living, uh, I'm, I'm not actually, uh, Nancy listing who I'm talking about because, you know, I'm not going to, na- I'm not naming the names. I'm sure if you Googled it, you'd find all that you wanted to find by these different guys, but understand something. I'm talking about the principle of the fact that you have to be able to know what is the Holy ghost. What is not, you got to be able to know what is God when he's moving and what is not God and see the word, the written word of God helps us to know these things because it gives us a standard. It gives us an outline. It gives us doctrines that we abide by. And so we know what's right and what's wrong because the word of God teaches us, reproves us, corrects us, and trains us for righteousness so that we will be complete. And the Bible says that we will be ready for every good work, equipped for every good work. So the final thing obviously we're talking about is the scripture is sufficient in and of itself. The scripture is sufficient in and of itself. Paul taught that. We believe that. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Never pass away. God's word is eternal. He's the one that preserved it. He's the one that gave it to us. He upholds it. It's the highest force in the universe. 
And so if anything we're doing or saying or whatever is outside of the written word of God, it is useless. It is worthless. It should be trashed. It should be trashed. If it cannot be found in God's written word, it is nothing. I don't care if it's someone that's saying it's a prophecy. I don't care if they're saying it's a word in tongues and interpretation. I don't care if it's a word of wisdom. I don't care what it is, an activation in a meeting. I don't care. If it's not in God's word, it's not for us. The word is sufficient unto itself. You don't need any other documents for your Christian life. There's nothing, this is not like, well, this is the foundation, but I, le- I need a lot more. No, the word of God is sufficient unto itself. It doesn't need any help. It doesn't need any addendums. It doesn't need any aff- uh, other things um, to be brought alongside it. It is sufficient unto itself for everything, for teaching, for training, for correction, for reproof, uh, for, to equip you, to make you complete and for every good work. The word of God is sufficient unto itself. So three things we must believe. Number one, all scripture is inspired by God. Number two, it is inerrant. There's not an error in the word of God. And number three, it is sufficient unto itself. Now I say that and people are think, well, you know, Christians believe that. They don't. A well-known pastor of a mega church recently preached that you can no longer just say the Bible says, because in this generation, you know, that's not the case anymore. People don't believe the Bible like they used to. So you need to use other things in order to get the message across of, of whatever. And while he may be right that other, that people don't believe that the Bible's God's word, like they used to, it doesn't change the fact it's still God's word. Doesn't change the fact. And so whether people choose to believe it or not, that's not my business. I'm not the one that draws people to belief. I'm not the Holy Ghost. He is the one who draws people to repentance, to the Father, to belief, to faith, not me. Not me. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if people believe it or not. It's the word of God. You know, it's like saying, you know, well, you know, people say there's electricity in my walls, but I don't believe it. It really doesn't matter if you believe it or not. Go ahead and stick a key, a car key, into the outlet in the wall. You'll find out it's real. But you shouldn't have to find out it's real in that way, in a destructive way, for you to believe it. And people shouldn't have to go to hell in order to believe God is real and heaven is real. They shouldn't have to be destroyed to believe God is real and heaven is real. They shouldn't have to be like the story of the rich man and Lazarus where he, now the rich man is in hell. Lazarus is in a place of comfort. And the rich man says, I can't believe it. Please go back and tell my family it's all real. So it has nothing to do with whether people believe it or not. This is God's word. They'll find out one way or another. I hope they find out because the, the gospel comes to them. They believe it and are added to the kingdom. But one way or another, people will find out and discover one day it is God's word. Never has failed. It never has failed. The reason I teach this today, the reason I'm pushing this is because if we're going to be stable Christians, I see celebrity Christians leaving the faith. I just, I've got a lot of issues. They, it, when I listened, like the dude from Hawk Nelson, he was the lead singer of the band Hawk Nelson, who recently said, I'm no longer a Christian. I've left the faith, even though whatever his father was a preacher or whatever, he was a Christian for years. Then I looked at the things that he had issues with where he's like, these questions were just never answered for me as a Christian. And 
I looked at the stuff he was wearing. I was like, this is such simple stuff that his pastor will be held accountable for not being able to give him sufficient answers to such easy questions about the faith. But the reason people are leaving, what what does the Bible say even in the Old Testament, Hosea 4, 6? My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. A lack of knowledge. It's why we launched Miracle Word University. It's why we do this every single day. It's why we have the podcast. It's why we have Miracle Word Radio. It's why we never stop teaching you the the scripture and the doctrines of the scripture because people are destroyed because they don't have sufficient knowledge. The Bible says in the New Testament, John 8, 32, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. You can only be made free by truth you have, not truth you don't have. And so it's important. We must agree and understand that the word of God is inspired, all of it. It is inerrant and it is sufficient unto itself. It needs no help from man. It needs no help from other writings. It needs no help in editing. It is the inspired word of God. And it has all power to train you, correct you, teach you, and equip you, make you complete. God's word is the highest force in the universe. And I'm going to pray because one of my prayers, this changed me and I'm going to pray it changes you. And the Lord, I said, Lord, I want to go deeper into your word. I want to have revelation of things I've never seen. He said, do this. Before you study, before you do anything else, pray that I would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Just like Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. So I'm going to pray that for those of you that are watching today, those of you listening on the podcast. So I want you to pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your mighty anointing. Thank you for your mighty word that is above every other force in the universe. I thank you, Lord, that you've given it to us and you've preserved it for us. It belongs to us. You've given it as our document to keep us in a place of victory. Now, I pray for every person watching and listening that you would open the eyes of their understanding in the mighty name of Jesus. Give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you so that they would know the hope of their glorious calling. I pray, Lord, that you'd let them see things as they study your word that they've never seen before, strengthen their spirits, strengthen their minds, give them boldness to preach this word before Jesus comes, equip us for every good work in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you, we give you glory, we give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. If you receive it today, throw some fire in the comments and let me know you're with me. I love you. Listen, before I go, I've been challenging people this week to step out of your comfort zone. And if you've not done so yet, I want to encourage you and challenge you to partner with this ministry, with Carolyn, with myself, Miracle Word Ministries at $85 a month. That's $1,000 a year. But you think about what you'd normally do. That could be a cell phone bill, a cable bill. It could be just a, a, you know, a dinner at Texas Roadhouse with your family. But take a moment and understand what it could do for the kingdom. People are coming into the kingdom at unprecedented rates. Do you realize more people are being saved now than ever in history? The crusades we're seeing, the altar calls we're seeing. I mean, Reinhard Bonnke, just before he died, think of this, saw over 70 million people saved in a span of 10 years. That's just one ministry. 
In, in this last century, we've seen more people come to Christ than in the history of the world. We're living in the best time that there ever was. Jesus is coming soon, and you play a massive part in the reaping of the harvest. And so I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you, if you've not stood with us yet, to stand with this ministry in partnership. Very easy to do. You can go to miracleword.com and you can sign up there, click the give page or the partner page. You can create an account if you'd like to, and you can change the frequency, the amount of your giving, whatever you'd like to do. I'm challenging you to start at $85 a month and watch what God will do. We've had people start there. They've jumped up to $100, $200, $500 a month, $750 a month. Watch what God will do as you're a blessing to the kingdom. Those of you that are in the United States, you can use Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, all the information's on the screen. Uh, Or if you're on Periscope or Facebook, you can use hashtag donate to sow a seed right in the comments section. And uh, if you've never done it before, you'll get a link that you can click and complete your uh, seed that you're sowing. And I appreciate you. Listen, for every person that is sowing in the month of August, partnering at $85 or more this month, we're going to send you this powerful book by Dr. Lester Summerall. What I was just talking about, the gifts of the spirit, the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit. It's a classic, Pentecostal classic. I recommend it to every Christian. Thank you, Don. Amen. Do what you can. Do what you can by faith. I know not everybody's in position to sow $85 right now, but do what you can. Do what the Lord tells you to do, and I believe he'll bless you. If you'd like to receive this book for your partnership this month, go to miracleword.com forward slash offer, fill out the form so that we have an address to send it to, and uh, we're going to hook you up. That's our way of saying thank you. Also, for everybody that's taken a big step of faith to sow $1,000 or more this month, not only will we send you the Genuine Leather Life Application Study Bible, but my brand new book in a limited edition hardcover, Further Faster, How to Accelerate Your Purpose Through the Force of Impartation. This, I believe, is the most important book that I've ever released to this point, and uh, it will bless you immensely. My friend, Pastor Joel Stockstill, wrote the foreword, and I really appreciate and love him very much. This will bless you. We'll send it to you as well as Lester Summerall's book this month for those of you sowing $1,000 or more. We love you so much. Don't forget, right now, my mom and my sister are starting a live stream on my father's Facebook page and YouTube channel. Ted Shuttlesworth, Faith Alive. Go join them. It's going to be great. I love you guys. I'll see you again in the morning, 10.30 a.m. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you again very soon. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.